would open your Bible to Romans 8, verse 31 to 39. We're going to be this morning, our second week in Romans here. Uh, the very next passage from where we were last week, Romans 8, verse 31 to 39. Uh, while you're flipping there, go ahead and pray with me, and then we'll jump to our text this morning. Lord, we, we thank you and praise you again for for the forgiveness and the redemption that happened. Get to be part of the same kingdom, family, call one another brothers and sisters through faith in Christ. Thank you for that great grace, that great undeserved favor, bought by the Lord, that we could be your faith. Lord, help us to glorify and honor you as we gather together to work through the rest of this morning, to put our focus and our eyes on you, and Lord, we, we ask you to illuminate any struggles that we're having that we're not aware of, that you bring them to our minds that we could repent and turn back to you. But as always, remind us of the good news that wherever we fall, we have to give them. Pray all these Okay, Romans 8, verse 31 to 39. Again, we're going to this morning. Let's start with verse 31 and 32, which say this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In other words, in light of what I, being Paul, speaking as if I'm Paul now, and in light of what I was just talking about, that in uh, in his sovereignty, God works all things together for the good of his people. That's what we talked about last week. In light of that truth, if God is for us, if he's for our good as his people, like that, such that in his sovereignty, he's working all things together for our good as his people, who then can be against us? Meaning, what enemy could stand against a friend against an ally, against a heavenly father like that. That's the idea. It's a rhetorical question, and no one is the answer to that rhetorical question. Kind of an illustration of what Paul's driving at here. Picture picking, uh, you're, you're playing on the playground with your friends, right? And you're playing superheroes, right? Picture, you pick which superhero you're going to be, right? You go, I'll take the all-knowing, all-powerful, sovereign creator God of the universe who works all things together for my good. That's who my superhero is going to be. Everyone else will go, well, why play that? What are you, what? What do you mean? What's the point in me picking anybody to oppose you at that point? And it's the same idea, right? If, if the all-knowing, all-powerful, sovereign creator God of the universe who works all things together for our good as the people is on our side, then who can be against us? Amen? That's the idea. What does it matter who our enemies are? Who could stand against a friend, an ally, a heavenly father like that? And again, no one is the answer to that question. So again, as we've talked about the last couple of weeks, I keep asking this question, but it's easy to be asking ourselves this question. Church, do we believe that? Do we believe that to be true? That if the all-knowing, all-powerful, sovereign creator God of the universe who works 
all things together for our good as the people is on our side, meaning it's for us, for our ultimate good, then who can be against us? So we believe that truth. That it doesn't matter who our enemies are. Because who could stand against the Heavenly Father like that? Yeah, no one is the answer to that. We believe that truth. And church, are we living according? With the hope and the peace and the security befitting of this truth, even in the midst of suffering, for example, are we, are we living in a way that's fitting of that truth? And wherever we're not church, again, let's repent together as a church family. Let's hold one another accountable to that. And repent. Turn back to that truth. Rest in that truth. And seek to live accordingly by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Verse 32, Paul goes on to say, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? All things here meaning everything God intends to and has promised to give us. Not everything we want, all things. What he's saying is, uh, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things, meaning all the things, God intends to give us and his promise to give us. The idea here being, if God gave up his own son for the good of his people, why would he then hold back anything else he intends to and his promise to give us? Makes sense. He's already given us his son. If he didn't hold back on the most valuable, most costly provision for the good of his people, his own son's life, that we might be saved through faith in him, then why would God hold back on any of the less costly provisions that he intends to and has promised to give us for our good as he's already given us? Great. Does that make sense? What Paul's driving at here. Right? To give us an illustration, obviously, it's silly, but gives us an idea. Okay. Know that up top. I know it's not a perfect illustration, but, right? If God already gave us the Ferrari, why would we worry about whether he's going to give us the gas money from us? Make any sense. Right? He's already done the greater thing. His provision of the greater should breed confidence in us that in due time he's going to promise, he's going to provide the promised lesser gift. Does that make sense? The idea. Again, do we believe that? That if God gave up his son for the good of his people, why would he then hold back anything? That else that he intends to and has promised to give us. We believe that truth. That if he didn't hold back on the most valuable and costly provision for the good of his people, the life of his son that we might be saved through faith in him, why would he hold back on any of the less costly gifts that he intends to and promised to give us for our good as people? And again, are we living according to that truth? With the trust and confidence that God will provide the promised lesser. A gift in due time because he's already promised, he's already provided the greater gift, the death of his son. We might be saved from faith. Are we living according to that truth with that level of confidence in the Lord or is part of us, if we're honest, worried about whether he's ever going to give us the proverbial gas money that he's probably going to give us? Part of it's like, I don't know. Like that might be, 
the, the big thing, great, but the gas money might be a little bit too much. Part of it's kind of in that head space, meaning all of the other things that he promised us for our good as people. We worry he's not going to give us those things. He's already given us great. He's already given us Ferrari. And wherever that's the case, church, let's again repent together by the power of the Holy Spirit. Wherever we recognize that lack of trust word, fulfill all of his promises. Amen. Verse 33 and 34, Paul goes on to say, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed interceding for us? Continuing this idea that if God is for us, meaning for our good as people, who can be against us, here Paul starts giving us specific examples and situations further further illustrate this point. Verse 33. Again, he says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? God justifies, meaning, which of our enemies is going to bring charges against us in God's courtroom when it's God himself who declares us righteous, who declares us not guilty in his sight through faith in Christ? Right? Who's going to do that, right? That's kind of the idea here. Faith in Christ being the means by which Christ's perfect righteousness and full payment for our sins in his death on the cross is counted to us. How? Again, by faith. Not by works. We're saved by faith. All right. By grace, completely undeserved, through faith in Christ. And that's how his finished work on our behalf counted to us. Right? How sinners like you and I be declared righteous and not guilty in God's sight, faith in Christ, and his finished work on our behalf. Via Christ's perfect righteousness and full payment for our sins in his death on the cross, that counts us by faith. Why, as we talked about last week, we as sinners must believe and must put through saving faith in Christ in order to be justified, right? In order to be declared righteous and not guilty in God's courtroom, because again, faith how Christ's perfect righteousness and full payment for our sins in his death on the cross are counted to us. That's the mechanism of Amen? Okay, so the illustration here, here's kind of the idea of Paul. It, it, the idea here being which of our enemies is going to bring charges against us in God's courtroom when the judge, being God himself, declares us righteous and declares us not guilty in his sight through faith in Christ. What are our enemies going to say? God's already said, you're perfectly right. You're not guilty. That's been his declaration. I mean, and the, so here's the idea. Our enemies can try. <laughs> this guy's still guilty, but they have no authority. That's the idea. They can try to say as much. They have no authority. It, it'd be akin to if I walked into the courtroom in the middle of the trial, like just uninvited, walked in, Right, picked up the gavel, slammed it, and said, guilt. Like, it doesn't, <laughs> I'm nobody. <laughs> I don't have any authority in the proceedings. I can come in and try to do that. I'm probably going to get carted off pretty quickly. Right, but it doesn't, it's meaningless. I don't have any authority to make that declaration. Right, why? Because I'm not the judge. Amen? Make sense? 
They might be here with our enemy. They're not just. God is. And he declares us perfectly righteous, not guilty in his sight. Verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised. He was the right God. He is interceding for us. Same idea here. Which of our enemies is going to condemn us? Going to sentence us to hell for our sins, right? When Christ has died to pay the full penalty for us. And was raised to show that the check clear, right? That his payment, his full payment for our sins was indeed acceptable and pleasing in God's sight. And he's now at the right hand of God as our high priest, actively interceding on our behalf as his people. As uh, I like what the ESP study there notes, uh, puts it this way. They say, on the basis of his shed blood, Christ interceding for us. So in other words, which of our enemies is going to say, they still owe an eternal debt because of their sin when Christ who paid that debt himself in full by his blood, and who now stands as our advocate, in other words, our lawyer, if you will, is saying, no, they don't. They don't know anything, right? It's been paid in full, and here's the receipt. In fact, I have the document, my resurrection, proof that they're not guilty. The debt has been paid in full. Again, the idea, our enemies can try to say we still owe something, but it doesn't mean it. Because our advocate, our lawyer, so to speak, Christ, has the receipt. That's not true. I'll show you. They're paid up. They're definitely paid. It's been cleared. Again, church, do we believe that truth? That no matter what our enemies may say about us, whether that's Satan and his demonic forces or the world, no matter what our enemies may say about us as God, God has declared us righteous, declared us not guilty. Declared our dead of sin. He's declared us dead of sin free in his sight. Christ, we believe that. And are we living accordingly with the, the content of one who God himself has declared righteous and not guilty, dead of sin free in his sight through faith in Christ? Are we, are we living with that level of confidence? The judge himself said, no, you're good. You're all paid. Are we living with that level of confidence? Be that in our time spent in the Word, that we come to the Word with joy now, right? Because even where we fall short, even where we see in the mirror of God's Word, we are sin, go, yeah, that was paid for. So I can enjoy my time for that. Heard, but yeah, convicted, shown where I can grow, but ultimately, with paid my debt, right? Do we have that confidence in our time in the Word, or do we have that, that confidence uh, before the Lord in our time of prayer, we go before Him. And again, we're not standing dead. We're coming to our heavenly Father. Amen. As, as our judge, who's already said, you're good. You're not guilty. We have that confidence when we approach the Lord in prayer. Do we have that confidence uh, when we come together in God? Our, our debt of sin has been paid. We can enjoy one another's company. We can encourage and sharpen one another. Because we're not still, we're not trying to Earn God's favor has already been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. Right? We could never have earned God's favor. That's why Christ had to come and die for us, right? 
Are we approaching God with the confidence of one who God himself declared righteous, not guilty, set of sin free in his sight and faith in Christ? Or has part of us started to listen to the voice of our Right? When, when they try to walk into the courtroom and slam the gavel and declare us guilty, even though they're not the judge. God, part of us listening to this nonsense. Doesn't mean it. Right? Wherever that's the case again, church, let's repent together as a church by the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 35 and 36, Paul goes on to say, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. In other words, who shall separate us, people of God, and all who are truly God's people through faith in Christ? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Meaning from the peculiar, meaning particular, special love that God has for us as He's going to separate us from God, that particular love that God has for His people. Use an illustration uh, from last week, or who's going to separate us from the special love that Christ has for us, who have become his spiritual brothers and sisters, and fellow members of the household of God, separate us from that love. To quote the hymn, uh, if you're familiar, Thy mercy, my God, who's going to separate us, the people of God, from the covenant love of thy crucified Son. Love that. Who's going to separate us from that? What's going to separate us from that? Paul then lists a bunch of things that we might be tempted to think could separate us as people of God through faith in Christ from the love of Christ, from the peculiar, special love that God has for us as people. He then lists a bunch of things we might think could list them out. He says, shall tribulation, meaning a, a cause or state of great trouble or suffering or distress, meaning great discomfort, sorrow, pain, difficulty, and so forth. Or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, extreme poverty, or danger, or sword. Meaning Paul's saying, can these things do this? Can these things separate us as people of God from special love God has for us as people? These are dark moments of extreme difficulty for anybody who faces can these things do the job of separating us, all who are truly God's people through faith in Christ, from the love of Christ? Special love God has for us people. Paul then quotes Psalm 44, 22, verse 36. Says, as, is it, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are, being, we are regarded as sheep in slaughter. Quotes this psalm to clarify that these things are indeed things that the people of God both have and will. Continue to face as they live life in this fallen world. We're going to experience that. We're not immune to that. Right? The ESV study, uh, their note on this summarizes as well. They say the quotation from Psalm 44.22 shows difficulties listed in Romans 8.35 do strike Christians. Please hear. Because there are false teachers that are going to tell you that they do. Right? And that's just not. Like, good luck opening up a page 
descriptor and just drop yourself off anywhere and not find dot stuff. Okay? They, they do. Right? ESP study says, again, this quotation of Psalm 44 shows difficulties listed in Romans 8.35 do strike Christians. They are not exempted from suffering or even from kill. God looks at amen. So these are things that the people of God both have and will continue to face as they live life in this fallen world, up to including kill. At times, because of our faith, right? That's just the reality of life in the fallen world. But again, can these things do the job of separating us, all who are truly God's faith in Christ, from the love of Christ? This special love for us as people. Paul, in verses 37 through 39, then answers with a definitive, what, church? What is the answer to that question? These things separate us, the people of God, from the love of God. Look at the beginning of verse 37 and say, what's the answer to that question? No. No. They can't. It says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquered who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul's answer definitively is no. Things can't separate us as people of God from the love of God. None of these things, as dark and as difficult as they may be, can separate us as God's people through faith in Christ from the love of Christ. Fact says this in all these things we are more than conquerors him who loved us. Meaning in all these things we as the people of God are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Faith in Christ. Meaning through faith in Christ, not only are we conquerors of more than conquerors, getting here. Through faith in Christ, not only are we conquerors of sin, in that not only can they not separate us from the love of Christ in this life, but we'll one day get to share in Christ's complete victory over these things when he returns and redeems all things. But we're in fact more than conquerors of these things. Because as one of God's people through faith in Christ in his sovereignty, in God's ultimately being in control over all things at all times, God ultimately works all things, both good and bad, together for our good as his people, including all of these things. Right? We talked about that last. And so here's kind of the picture here. Through faith in Christ, we're more than conquerors of these things. Not only will we one day share in Christ's complete victory over them, which returns to redeem all things, but in the meantime, as we, as the people of God, eagerly await Christ's return and the redemption of all, these things work for us, for our good. Because as one of God's people, through faith in Christ, God, in his sovereignty, ultimately works all things, both good and bad, together for our good, including all of these things, Paul, just listen. So in all these things, we, as the people of God, are more the conquerors through love of faith. In Christ. 
right? Not only will we one day share in Christ's victory over these things when he returns, redeems all things. In the meantime, we eagerly await that day. These things work for us. They work for our good. And so to give you uh, an illustration of that idea, right, in the business world, right, if we put our competitor out of business, you could say that we've conquered or are conquerors of our competitor. Okay? Right? You could say, hey, we won, right? <laughs> put your competitor out of business. But if not only do they go out of business, they actually work for you now, right? well, then you're more than conquerors of your competitor. You're their new boss. Does that make sense? That's, I think, the, the thing, the type of thing that Paul has in mind here. Same idea here. In all these things, we, oh God, are more than conquerors through him who loved us through faith in Christ. Because, again, one day we'll share in Christ's victory over these things when he returns in all things. But in the meantime, we wait for that. These things work for us. They work for our good. Because, again, it's God's people through faith in Christ, in God's sovereignty, works all things ultimately for our good, both good and bad, including all of the things that Paul lists here. Paul then spells out plainly in verses 38 to 39 what things can separate us and all who are truly God's people through faith in Christ, the peculiar, special love that God has for us in Christ Jesus our Lord. As his people through faith in Christ. That's verse 38 through 9. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ our Lord. So, what things can separate us from God's love as his people? In short, no thing. Nothing is the answer to that question. Once we become one of God's people through faith in Christ, no thing, nothing can separate us from the peculiar, the special love that God has for us in Christ our Lord as one of God's people through faith in Christ. Similar to the lesson we learned last week, this is why I wanted to do kind of a two-parter here, right? That all things, meaning all things, both good and bad, right? God works them together for our good, right? So what does nothing mean? No thing. <laughs> nothing, nothing can separate the love of God that we have as people through faith in Christ. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, including church, our sickness, our health, our wealth, or our poverty, our joy, or our sorrow, the peaks and valleys in our sanctification growth in Christ can happen, right? Your journey, faith, once you come to faith, we like to think, up, up, up. not how life works, right? right? None of those things, nothing, no thing, will be able to separate us from the love of God. Right, once we become one of God's people through faith in Christ, provided we do actually come to saving faith in Christ, nothing, no thing, separate us from the special love that God has for us in Christ our Lord as one of his people through faith in Christ. 
Right? Put another way, once we become one of God's sons through faith in Christ, nothing, no thing, separate us from his love, special love for us as one of his sons through faith in Christ. Once we're adopted as sons into the household, the family of God through faith in Christ, nothing can separate us from God's love for us as his son. Another way to put that, once we're part of the family through faith in Christ, we're part of the family and object of an object of God's love toward us as sons forever. Amen? Once you're in, you're in. That's the good news of the gospel. So all that said, church, here's three things I want to leave you guys with. How can we respond to beautiful gospel truth? Three things. Number one, if you're not yet one of God's people this morning, become one of his people. Declared righteous, not guilty, dead of sin free in his sight, and adopted into the household of God. How do we do that? Become one of his people through faith in Christ. You don't know Christ this morning. That you too would become inseparable from the love of God as one of his sons through faith in Christ. This good news is true for you too, through faith in Christ. Because again, once we're adopted as sons into the household, into the family of God through faith in Christ, nothing can separate us from God's love for us as his sons. Once we're part of the family through faith in Christ, we're part of the family forever. Object of his love for us as his son forever. So if you're not yet one of God's people this morning, become one of his people, one of his adopted sons through faith in Christ. That you too would become inseparable from the love of God as one of his sons through faith in Christ, as is already true by God's grace for the rest of us who have faith in Christ. Amen? That's first. Not yet one of God's people become one. Faith in Christ. Welcome family. Faith in Christ. Secondly, if you are already uh, one of God's people, one of his adopted sons faith in Christ this morning, well, rest in the good news that nothing, again, no thing can separate you from the special love that God has for you in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's one of people Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor come, nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, not the loss of your job, or financial ruin, or the uncertainty of the future, amen and amen on that one, right? Or that huge mistake that you just made, that you surprised yourself with, because you thought you were more spiritually mature than that by now. How in the world did I do that? That thing can't either separate what we thought in Christ. Or whatever else you're thinking of that I haven't listened to yet. Nothing, no thing will be able to separate us from the love of God Christ heart. Once we become one of God's faith in Christ, nothing can separate us from his love toward us. And once we're part of the family, part of the Amen. So let's find rest in that good news Beautiful news. Once we're in once that special love God has for his people is ours, faith in Christ is ours forever. Nothing separates us from it. Let's rest in that good news and seek to live according to 
in a way that reflects by the power of and wherever we're not church again see that in our our time in the word or prayer gospel community how we think about serving in the church while we're at work time spent with our families and so forth whenever wherever we're not living in a way that reflects the truth that once we're part of God's family faith in Christ that love he has for us is ours forever let's repent together church by the power of the Thirdly and lastly, simple one, but not <laughs> simple instructions, but we're not good at it. So we're kind of just there too. Go preach the gospel that this will be true of more and more sinners in faith. Amen? That more and more sinners would become inseparable from the love of God as one of them. Right. We have to go open our homes and share the good news of the gospel. They can become members of God's family, kingdom, faith in Christ, in order for them to experience this gift. Amen? Pray with me. Lord, we thank you again for our time this morning. Beautiful gospel truth and reminders where we are very prone to forget, prone to wander. And Lord, uh, we just ask for illumination there, for insight there, help us see where we have, where that drift has started to happen from these beautiful truths, where, where we have help to remember, remember the good Christ forgiven through his blood shed on the cross for us. If Christ were declared right, perfect life in our place, counted us by faith, along with the forgiveness that has bought by his blood. Lord, help us to remember that in Christ we're empowered. Through the Holy Spirit at work within us, we can't grow more and more until we die or return, Lord. So help us to remember that beautiful news. And Lord, help us to respond to this good news this morning with joyful worship. Grad, not trying to earn retroactively that gift. But just to accept it, say thank you, Lord. There's nothing I could have done to earn this. But I thank you for this great gift, and I just want to work bond out of that gratitude. Lord, help us to honor you, work together, and point people to Christ as a righteousness and death. the only way to save the world. Death. Really.